Tales for Canterbury is a short story anthology from Random Static Press, edited by Anna Caro and J.C. Hart. All funds raised through the sale of ebook and print copies will go to the New Zealand Red Cross 2011 Earthquake Appeal. The anthology features stories by New Zealand and international authors, including Neil Gaiman, Karen Healy, Gwyneth Jones, Jay Lake, Kat Connor, Helen Lowe, Sean Williams, and more. For more information, visit talesforcanterbury.wordpress.com. Imagine That Studios and Karu Studios, in association with Harper Voyager Books, presents Tales from the Archives, Volume 1, the official anthology of the Ministry of Peculiar Occurrences. Miss Braun? Miss Braun! Well, Lee, how many times have I told you not to startle me like that? Uh, apology accepted? I'm sorry, Wellington. Just a bit homesick is all. And that is why you are so heavily armed, even here in the archives? Old habits. Well, there is that. Just hearing the call of home, of Aotearoa. Would you enjoy, perhaps, a hint of it from one of these lost files? It might take the edge off, yes. I happen to have one right here. Jolly good, then. Be a dear and pass it over. I would love to. But it seems the cuff of my favourite jacket is currently held fast to my desk by a throwing dagger of the Persian artisans. Oh. Yes. Right, then. Mm. Sorry, Welly. I'll just send you a bill for my tailors, then. A ruby in rain. Winter, 1896. Lachlan King turned away from the window. What are you doing? Barry Ferguson momentarily stopped tapping his pencil against the edge of his notebook. I am, he said, trying to think of a name. For me. A name? I was wondering about the uplifted boy. Since the Ministry had brought the discredited scientist and burglar, Spring-Heeled Jack, to justice last summer in Liverpool, some of the younger staff had decided they too would like to assume a strange identity. Lachlan thought the new craze for discussion of these so-called superb heroes was a waste of time, let alone the idea of employees of a secret Ministry donning costumes that would make them far more conspicuous. Perhaps that was why they spent so much time discussing the importance of masks. In any case, they tied up the official ministry telegraph with frivolous discussion. Of course, Lachlan had often made use of the telegraph for his own correspondence, with the members of the Trollope Enthusiast Society he had helped establish at Oxford, but that could hardly be considered the same thing. 
I shouldn't think there will be much call for a costumed and pseudonymous stenographer, Lachlan said. Ferguson frowned. Well, no, but with my contraption I could easily... Very good, Ferguson, Lachlan said. Ferguson took no offence at being cut off. Presently he resumed his writing. Lachlan sighed and watched the lights of Auckland pass by. The carriage was stuffy, but he refused to open the window. The air here may be sweeter than up in Russell, the so-called hellhole of the Pacific, but only slightly. He was wearing his best evening formal and did not want it smelling like an open sewer. Earlier in the evening he'd been in the foyer of the opera house, waiting for the performance of Rudigore by Wellington's Amateur Operatic and Dramatic Society. Then Ferguson appeared, in brown boots and oilskin, dripping all over the carpet. Ferguson had come to the ministry in an unusual way. There had been some business with sheep in Panmure. The farmer heard a loud explosion and ran to his field to find his sheep roasted and Ferguson sitting forlorn and soot-stained with some kind of cannon strapped to his back. Someone in the ministry saw potential in the young man's dangerous enthusiasms. Ferguson was surprised to find that rather than being accommodated in Mount Eden at the governor's pleasure, he was offered a desk at the ministry and 75 shillings a week. Though Lachlan often took issue with the lad's manners and dress sense, he had to admit he was a fine stenographer. The carriage stopped with a creak, and the horses whinnied. That'll be us, Ferguson said, and opened the door. After you, sir. Lachlan stepped into the rain and made his way to the door. Ferguson wrestled a heavy leather trunk from the carriage and followed. Lachlan coughed. After several long seconds, the officer at the desk looked up from his herald. You're a long way from the opera, mate. And you are a long way from a competent constable, from the look of it. I am Lachlan King. The officer appeared half asleep. From the ministry. This is my adjunct, Barry Ferguson. The ministry? Oh! The officer suddenly stood, knocking a cup of tea from his desk. The ministry? Right, sir. Wilkins, sir, at your service. He offered a greasy hand. Lachlan did not take it, but Ferguson jumped in and shook Wilkins' hand enthusiastically. There was a shout from the next room. What you doing out there? It's Mr. King, Wilkins called, from the ministry. For Rob. From the... There was a crash that sounded like further cups and cutlery hitting the floor. A portly sergeant appeared, wiping at a spreading tea stain on his shirt. Ah, right. Good. The Ministry. Right. Lachlan did not think the stain would overly affect the look of the uniform. Both shirt and trousers were covered with crumbs, egg yolk, and something that could only be rancid butter. Sergeant Coyle, sir. Coyle offered his hand. This, too, remained unshook. Now then, Lachlan said, would you care to tell me what this is about? Coyle explained. A man had entered the station at six o'clock that evening, and asked to be locked in the cells. He did not confess to any crime, nor, after some interrogation, did it appear that one had been committed. 
he wished to be locked up for his own protection. If it was anyone off the street, I would have turned him away, but since this was old Red... Hang on, Ferguson interrupted. Red? You're not talking about Red-Eyed Rob, Coyle nodded. That's him, sir, the gambler. Lachlan cast a quizzical eye at Ferguson, who had turned an interesting shade of red himself. A gambler? You know this man? Ferguson rubbed his chin. Well, I've got the contraption to think of, and, and generous as my salary is, it doesn't... I, I don't gamble often, and when I do, I win more often than I lose. Wilkins laughed. Not when red-eyed Rob's in the game, I bet. Ferguson studied his shoes. No. Took me for five quid once, he did, Coyle said. The boys and me have a session every Thursday night. You'll have to come over. Lachlan noted the easy banter Ferguson enjoyed with the others. Much as he hated to admit any failure, he'd always found himself uncomfortable in the presence of such common folk. It sounds like everyone here knows this Rob person. Except me, he said. The room became quiet as the police tried to appear more professional. Why is he called Red-Eye? Coyle smoothed the hair over his bald spot. Perhaps you'd better see yourself, sir. The cells were at the end of a short hallway. Ferguson leaned the case against the wall as Coyle produced a set of keys on a heavy iron ring and pushed open the door. That's young Kearney, Coyle said, referring to the very young man in a crumpled and ill-fitting uniform who had started at the sound of the door. Kearney, this is Mr. King, from the Ministry. Kearney jumped out of his seat to stand at some form of attention. His right hand fluttered as he tried to decide whether he should salute or not. Finally, he decided on a flustered, Good evening, sir, and a curt nod. King replied in kind, wondering, not for the first time, when police had started looking so young. And that... Coyle indicated a man hunched in the corner of the cell. His old red. The palms of the man's hands were clean and smooth, but the backs were crosshatched with scars and burns. His forearms, where he had rolled up his shirt sleeves, showed a number of tattoos. Obviously this man had once lived a rough life, but lived more comfortably now, no doubt aided in this by his apparently excellent gambling skill. His hair was a mottled black with flecks of grey, but the remains also of sun-bleached blonde. This was a man who had spent a good part of his life at sea. Most strikingly, however, was the way his right eye glinted in the gaslight as he raised his head. Is that a ruby? Rob launched himself to his feet and slammed against the bars of the cell. You've got to help me, sir. They're going to kill me. Who? Rob laughed. Isn't it obvious? The cards! Lachlan closed his eyes and attempted to massage away the headache starting to form at his temples. The cards. Lachlan had instructed the police to leave them with Rob and lock the door. Coyle had been reluctant at first, but agreed on the condition that Ferguson take a spare key. Lachlan opened the door to Rob's cell, but the man had been reluctant to leave. The two of them sat on stools facing each other across the open cell doorway. Rain spat through a barred window high in the wall, 
It started last week, Rob said. I was up at Fong's place, you know. I assure you, Lachlan said, I do not. You know, Fong's, over in Wakefield Street. Fong? Ferguson looked up from the notepad in which he had been scratching. It's a gambling den, run by a certain Mr. Fong. Fantan, Mahjong, Pai Gao. Poker, too, or so I've heard. Lachlan made another mental note. There were five of us, around the table. Fong was out the back. I'd been winning all night, well, except when I threw a hand or two. I have to do that sometimes, to keep in the game. I've heard of your gambling prowess. I had a really good hand. I could have stayed put, but I picked up anyway, and when I turned the face over I saw... Rob took a hitching breath. I saw Armageddon. Lachlan leaned closer. On the card. At first there was nothing, just an ace, I think, ace of clubs. Then it was as if I somehow fell into the card. Mud. That's the main thing I remember. The mud and the noise. Shouting. Gunfire. There was an explosion in the air and all of a sudden I could see I stood in the middle of some kind of battlefield. But this wasn't any place I'd been before. There were men and horses, yes, but there were other things as well. Machines. Flying machines. One came towards me and spat and I... You what? Rob stared unflinchingly at Lachlan. Something moved behind his ruby eye. I died. Clearly you didn't... Don't tell me what I did or didn't do, Rob shouted. He stood, kicking the stool away. I died. I was in that mud, and that machine flew at me with its circles on its wings, and it shot the gun right out of my hand, and the bullets hit my chest, and I died. The room was suddenly silent, except for Rob's ragged breathing. After a while he continued, quietly. When I woke up, I was lying in a gutter in Wakefield Street, and some Chinaman had stolen my wallet. Ferguson, Lachlan said, I think you'd better go fetch the trunk. There was a bump as Ferguson opened the door. He emerged into the corridor to see Kearney lying on the floor. How's it going in there? asked Kearney, rubbing a fresh, keyhole-shaped bruise above his ear. Ferguson had enough training to keep his mouth shut. Can I get you anything? Something to eat? Actually, Ferguson said, I could murder a tea. Kearney ran off in search of an unbroken cup. Ferguson began to drag the trunk into the cell. As he did, a key fell from his pocket and rolled into the corner. Aren't you hot? Ferguson looked up from the open chest where he'd been carefully turning a series of knobs built into the lid. Sorry, sir? Your coat, man. Wouldn't you rather take it off? No, sir. Lachlan shrugged. Something disturbed him about the cut of the boy's oil skin. It seemed altogether too bulky around the shoulders and back. He fastened the strap on his helmet and made sure the pressure tube was correctly screwed in both to the headpiece and the large collecting unit by the wall. The front of the helmet was given over to a rail, upon which several monocles of various colours were attached. What's that? 
Rob had calmed down considerably, but he could not be considered a man at peace. His left leg constantly jogged up and down, and he kept his arms wrapped around his torso, as if he were dyspeptic. This, said Lachlan, flipping down a green glass monocle over his left eye, is a chronoetheric resonator. It should help us to determine where your peculiar vision came from. Over your chest, if you could be so kind. He handed Rob a large flat sheet of lead. What's this for? That's just to make sure the agitated rays don't cause your heart to explode. Rob opened his mouth to say something else. But then there was a blinding flash from the copper and rosewood tripod Ferguson had set up behind Lachlan's back. Well done, Lachlan chirped. Although he would never admit it to Ferguson, he did rather enjoy the times when he could open the trunk and deploy some of the interesting devices the backroom boys had supplied. Rob blinked furiously as Ferguson cranked a handle on the collecting unit. Here we go, Ferguson said, after more than a minute, brandishing a sheet of glass upon which a strange series of connecting lines had been etched. Lachlan flipped up the green glass monocle and brought a blue one down in its place. Then he flipped up the blue one and pulled down one with a sickly yellow sheen. Ah, he said. Ah, doesn't sound good, Rob said. If you will excuse me, my colleague and I must confer for a moment. We shall be back presently. Lachlan grabbed Ferguson's arm, noting momentarily what seemed to be some kind of metallic band around the boy's shoulder, and pulled him to the door. You can't leave me, Rob called. They're coming for me. The cards are going to kill me. Lachlan poked his head back around the door. I assure you, sir, the cards are not coming to kill you. You can't leave me, Rob said quietly to the closed door. Have I ever told you of my time in India? No, Ferguson said. The corridor was empty. No doubt Kearney was still locating tea. It was thirty years ago now, my first year in the ministry. There is one case in particular that returns to me often in my dreams. The Kali Death Cult. Sounds very rough. When people began to go missing... The local authorities assumed it was the work of thuggies. By then, they were rare. But every now and then a new thuggy group would spring up. Unpleasant, certainly, but nothing the ministry need involve itself in. Then a local administrator began hearing stories of an Englishman working deep in the heart of the Bengal jungle. A man known to the ministry. The most brilliant man I ever had the misfortune of encountering. He was born Brian Williams, but by that time he went by the name of Lord Pra. He had already been banned from the Royal Society, expelled from the Theosophical Society, and excommunicated from the Catholic Church. The ministry had been observing him for years, with a view to employing him, until he suddenly disappeared. Now, here he was again, building a machine in the depths of the Bengal jungle. A hungry machine. The cultists were feeding it. Ferguson swallowed. 
what was the machine for? To conquer time. Ferguson did not know what to say. Think of it, Lachlan said. To understand the endless options of time yet unspent. To know which way a coin would land before it was hit. To know in whose heart a bullet would rest before it had even been manufactured. A man who could know that would be a god. He would be a monster, Ferguson said. Lachlan nodded. So the Ministry thought, and sent us in. There was no need for sneaking around as we made our way through the jungle, nor was there any way we could approach quietly. There were fifty of us. We were an army. We attacked as the sun was going down, as Pryor was feeding the latest bunch of villagers into his machine. A box made of pure ruby, more than twenty feet on a side. A few gunshots, and the cultists ran off. But Pryor kept a fighting force as well. We outnumbered them, but they had a steam cannon, firing solid bolts of steel. It looked grim. Then we set up the Reynolds gun. Pryor's soldiers were cut down. But such was the power of the Reynolds that we started to do real damage to that infernal machine as well. By the time we ran out of ammunition, it was damaged beyond repair, or so we hoped, and Pryor was gone. We brought our picks and hammers and started disassembling the machine, piece by piece. Days passed. Finally, we stood before a mountain of ruby and broken cogs. A request was sent, and soldiers came to clear the debris. I was ordered to ensure that all of it arrived back in London for safe destruction by the Ministry. But there were so many pieces, and so many chances for things to go missing. And worst of all, when you looked at one of the broken pieces of the machine, you could not help thinking that just then, just before you regarded it, it had been moving. Ferguson nodded. That's what you think Rob has been using as a glass eye, a piece of Lord Pra's hungry machine. I am almost certain of it, and if that is the case, there is nothing we can do for him. He is already dead. When they returned to the cell, Rob looked up, and then smiled, relieved. Thought you were someone else. Who? Doesn't matter. I'm sorry about your shirt. Lachlan frowned. The non-sequitur bothered him, but he put it from his mind. He had a growing dread that there was not much time left. You were a sailor, weren't you? Rob nodded. Spent four years in the Merchant Navy. Good way to see the world, he chuckled, if you could handle a knock or two. And that's where you lost your eye. Yeah, I could tell you it was during some exciting nautical adventure, but I know you wouldn't believe me. Got too drunk one night in Sydney. Smashed my head on a doorframe. Found an unlucky nail. And your new eye? Got sick of wearing a patch after a while. Saw this in a Shanghai flea market. Cost me two months' pay, but I reckon it was worth it. Became my lucky charm. Never lost a shilling gambling after that, lest it was deliberate. But you don't think of it as a lucky charm anymore. Rob looked down at the floor. 
No. And that's not the only time you've seen your own death, is it? A tear fell from Rob's good eye. Lachlan let out a heavy sigh. Rob knew more about what would happen next than he did. How long? Rob shrugged. Hard to tell when it's so close. Minutes, maybe? Or seconds? Lachlan was off his seat in an instant. Get that door locked, Ferguson. Nobody gets in or out. Ferguson jumped up, patting himself down to find the key. I had it. I don't... The door opened. In walked Kearney, carrying a heavy tray. I brought you some tea, he said. And his gaze turned to Rob, who had backed against the wall. No, 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 wailed Rob. The tray fell from Kearney's hands. Teacups smashed on the cell floor. Kearney drew his service revolver. What are you doing? Ferguson shouted. Without thinking, Lachlan ran forwards. A single shot rang out. When he opened his eyes, Lachlan became aware of a number of things. The first was that Rob was slumped down, a black hole in his forehead, his ruby eye missing and a red stain running down the cell wall. The second was that Kearney, too, was collapsed, looking not unlike a marionette with its strings cut. The third thing was the rapidly spreading red stain on his left arm. Ferguson was shouting something, but Lachlan could hear nothing more than the ringing in his ears. Ferguson pointed to the ceiling and left the room at a run. Lachlan staggered after him, nearly colliding with Coyle and his subordinates who had rushed in to see what had happened. Lachlan pushed past them, then nearly tripped on Ferguson's coat, which he had taken off and left lying in the hallway. It was clear now why Ferguson had been so insistent on keeping his coat on. He was wearing the contraption. A broad set of brass feathered wings spread across his back and shoulders, running down his arms. Around his waist were longer feathers, looking like the tail of an eagle, and strapped on his back, beneath his wings, was a fat copper tube open at the bottom. Tendrils of smoke trailed from it as he ran. Lachlan suddenly tripped and went sprawling, knocking his head against the wall as he did so. As the world turned white around him, he thought he saw Ferguson rise up from the street on a trail of smoke. His last thought, as he lost consciousness, was that he wouldn't have tripped if Coyle had cleaned up the tea. The stench made his eyes water. What in God's name? Ah, you're back. Good. Ferguson pulled the smelling salts away from Lachlan's nose, stoppered the bottle and put it back in a black bag. Lachlan was lying on the floor of Coyle's office. Ferguson had laid a mouldering pillow beneath his head. Lachlan tried to sit up and winced at the pain in his left arm. It's not too bad, just a flesh wound. I'm afraid your shirt is ruined, sir. Lachlan nodded. He warned me about that, he thought. Ferguson's coat was hanging over the back of a chair. The adjunct was wearing a plain white shirt. Where is your... Still up there, I'm afraid, Ferguson said. 
I got up with no trouble, but something failed when I was still a good twelve feet above the roof. Gasket, I think. Took a bit of a tumble. Lachlan noted now that the left leg of Ferguson's trousers was rolled up above the knee. There was a nasty, deep-looking cut there, salved with something that looked like melted cheese. Secret family recipe, Ferguson said. Reckon if it worked for the cows, when they rubbed up against the barbed wire fence at the back of Dad's farm, it should be right for me. Why did you, just after that shot, Rob's eye, it, it pulled itself out of his head and flew out the window. Thought I heard someone running on the roof. I was right, too. Indian chap. He didn't like it when I fell out of the sky on him. There was some argy-bargy, and I think I got a few good licks in. But then he just up and jumped over the edge like he was stepping off the curb. Don't know how he got away so quickly. Took me ages to climb down again. But he dropped something. Ferguson handed over a wooden cross. Looks like the kind of thing they use for puppets, you know. Marionettes, Lachlan said. He turned the device over. A series of thin brass pipes ran the length of the device. Ruby spikes jutted out where strings would normally be attached. Kearney was being controlled by this. It wasn't his fault. And that part there, Lachlan pointed to a thin wire twisted around a tiny ivory box. He prized it out and opened it with a fingernail. Inside were the tiniest cogs Ferguson had ever seen. I suppose you'd call it an auto-levitator. It's how the man floated the ruby out. Who was he? Lachlan shrugged. Impossible to say for certain. But he was after the ruby, and he knew where Rob would be. If I were a gambling man, I'd have to say the Ministry will be hearing from Lord Pra again, and soon. Ferguson sighed. I didn't stop him from getting the ruby, though. No. The boy looked forlorn. You know, that contraption of yours is very impressive. I'm sure the Ministry might be able to find a use for it. Once you've worked all the kinks out, of course. Ferguson beamed. But for God's sake, no costumes. A muffled shouting came from down the hallway. What did you do to the police, Ferguson? Ferguson cringed. Ah, well, when I climbed back down from the roof, it was all a bit of a dog's breakfast. They were all in the cells, shouting and panicking. Then Kearney woke up, dazed, and started waving his gun about. I think he was simply disoriented, but the others seemed sure he intended to murder them. I grabbed Kearney's gun and Kearney, and pulled him into the hallway. The key to the cells was lying on the floor, so I just... You locked them in the cells? Well, sir, you were out on the floor, so I couldn't check with you. But I figured if I put them in the cells, they wouldn't be able to leave the station and cause a panic. I thought that once you'd woken up, you'd be able to show me the correct ministry procedure for dealing with a situation like this. You did the right thing, Ferguson. Can you have a look and see if there's a small envelope in there? Ferguson rustled through the medicine bag. There's something here labelled Amnesic Darjeeling? Oh, quite a lot of warnings on the back, too. Lachlan nodded. That's the stuff. And you're already familiar with correct ministry procedure on this one. 
Ferguson looked puzzled. Put the kettle on. We're going to take our friends in the cells a nice cup of tea. Grantstone's fiction has appeared in Shimmer, Andromeda, Spaceways in-Flight magazine, and Semaphore, and is forthcoming in Strange Horizons and the Thackeray T. Lambshead Cabinet of Curiosities. When he's not writing, he is best known to tinker in the engine room of the Hugo-winning podcast Starship Sofa and his fanzine, Bot. He lives in Auckland, New Zealand, even though most of the opium and gambling dens are long gone. For more from the Ministry of Peculiar Occurrences, order your copy of Phoenix Rising, a Ministry of Peculiar Occurrences novel, from your favourite bookstore or online from Amazon.com, BarnesandNoble.com or the iBookstore. Original music composed by Alex White. Find out more at TheGearHeart.com. This podcast is protected by the Creative Commons Attribution, non-commercial, share-alike 3.0 license. For more information, visit creativecommons.org. Tales from the Archives. And Imagine That Studios, Koru Studios, Harper Voyager Production. I'm T. Morris. And I'm Philippa Ballantyne. Thank Thank you you for for listening. listening.